Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Well, I want to say thank you to Gordon and Albert for hanging with this AHU group because they brought some energy this morning or this afternoon. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, so last week, I realized that I wasn't here. I was up there on the screen. I had a little bit of a reaction to the the second dose of the vaccine, which I'm just so excited to be back here with all of you. And I'm I'm hoping that you're excited. We had our first in a, and I think it's been over a year, our first Sabbath school for children today. It's been it was just wonderful. Yeah, I, and and if you went, if you got a chance to go up there, there was a lot of kids. It was fun. They you know, the I, you're all being so responsible, and that's good too. So I, I, it feels good. I, I think we're, we're, um, we're seeing a little bit of a, a little bit of what we might look at as a kind of a return back to seeing what um, church looks like next to each other in, in 3D. Right? We're all, <laughs> we're all able to see. We're not just on a flat screen. But those of you that are visiting with us still on flat screen, I know exactly how it is. Welcome. Glad that you're here with us. Last week. Uh, we actually, last week, Easter, we were um, talking about the thief on the cross. And what an interesting story. I love that story because here is somebody who couldn't, literally couldn't move and go anywhere, and yet he had found his destination. He had realized who he had been searching for all along, so he wasn't really dying anymore. He said, you know, you know, this, this is life. This is finally real life. And Jesus points out to him that you, you are going to be with me in, in not just paradise, but you are now part of the kingdom of God. So it was a great understanding of Jesus being the destination. Today, I want to talk a little bit differently about what it means to follow Jesus. And we're going to kind of take a look at another person who followed Jesus post the cross, but he also was one of his followers before the cross. And I want to talk to you in regards to what following slash leadership and slash discipleship looks like. So uh, Jesus is really keen on making sure that he helps his disciples understand what, what leadership is about. Now, if you remember those of you, you probably, those of you that have your Bible on your app or app for a Bible or your phone or your pad, you probably forgot that you remember years ago, we used to have Bibles that had pictures in the very back of them, you know, like those, those pictures of the maps. Remember the maps? Yes. I, as a kid, I used to love looking at the maps. I was kind of always spatial in that way. But I always remembered when it came to that one map where it talked about Jesus and his journey, you know, journeying with the disciples, it always looked like he was just going around in circles around Galilee or back and forth, up and down between there and Jerusalem. So you got this picture 
that, you know, where did they really, where did he really lead them? Well, Jesus was not really, it wasn't about geography. It wasn't about putting pins on a map and getting there. For him, it was actually much more about letting them, in a way, just be with him. There's a, there, there's an opportunity that I had a number of years ago to go to Sicily with my dad and take him to the place where literally he's, his whole family is from. And it was such a, a, it was just a really touching experience for him to see his, all of his family and, and embrace them. And, and all of a sudden, old songs came back to him and he was singing. We had never heard him talk like, or sing, or it was just fun. But one of the things we, we noticed, I noticed that as we were going along, they're all farmers. They all have great big vineyards and, and, or, and grow, orange groves are big there. But one of the little towns was called Cultabalota. Now, Caltabalota is known for two things. Number one, it's known for its fresh spring water. And it's also known for its lush, sweet grass. Now, I say that because this town, this little town, is flush with livestock and farmers and ranchers. But it's the shepherds. It's the, as a matter of fact, you see them all over. It's the shepherds of that town who lead their sheep all the way to the top of the bluffs because that's where the sweetest grass is. And they know, and by the way, if you watch, some, if you see some of these pictures, these sheep are not just grazing on little nice little paths and nice little meadows. They're up on the rocks pulling grass out of the sides of the rocks. And it's really quite interesting. They know that if they let their sheep graze on this sweet grass, that they will in turn produce some of the sweetest pecorino and ragotta cheese that you've ever tasted. Now, now, those of you who have been to Sicily, you know what I'm talking about. Those cannolis, they're the best ever. We, we think we know what cannolis taste like, not until you get to Sicily and taste them with the real or goat to cheese from these, these bluffs. So as I was thinking about that, I thought Jesus wanted to have his disciples. He let them literally graze on the best that heaven could offer just by being alongside of Jesus. Now, Jesus was the leader. There was no doubt about it. But Jesus didn't just lead by having everybody follow behind him. Jesus led in a lot of different ways. One of the ways is Jesus literally led like a shepherd and let them, in a sense, find the great sweet grass. Let them work out some of the things. A lot of times Jesus wasn't even there. As a matter of fact, he left his disciples alone a lot, whether it was for him to pray to his father or whether it was for him to let them be for a little bit and work some things out, thinking that they could actually work things out. Not always, but when he came back, he had to kind of smooth again. But I think he left Peter alone for another reason. Peter didn't play well with others. Now, We, like we saw in the story, Peter, he was always, in a way, kind of the first. He always wanted to be first, always wanted to. He kind of got that idea from uh, maybe, maybe he was an only, I don't know. But you saw him on the fishing boat 
there he was out there on the sea, and Jesus comes walking out in the middle of the night. Who's the first to come out and say, it's all, it's, hey, Lord, you know, he comes out, it's always Peter. I had a friend like, I would actually had a friend growing up. Now, I say friend, when in actuality, there, it was a little painful to be alongside of him. He was placed in my life, in my space, early on. And at, at that point, I wasn't even sure why he was in my space. His name was Charlie. Now, um, Charlie, it was uncomfortable for me and it was hard to be with him. And uh, I asked my mom, why is he over all the time? And, and my mom said, well, I know he's, it's, a little, it's a little hard, but he's probably, you know, he's, he's an only child. And, and he doesn't have any friends. And I, I got that pretty well, why that would be. And then he said, or then she said, she said, but his family's going through some troubled times. And I just thought it'd be really good if you and him could play together. Now, I was about six years old. And in my discerning mind, I figured I had to do something about it because my toys were all being ruined by him. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take this into my own hands and I'm going to work out this thing. He was, he was, um, this is actually one of the trucks I had back then. This is one of the trucks that Charlie couldn't play with because Charlie didn't know how to play with trucks. He didn't know how to play with cars. So what he would do is he would slide them down the, you know, down the floor, running them into other trucks. That's not how I thought you should play with trucks. Or he would stand on them and use them like ice skates or roller skates. And, 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 and as if that was to hold his weight. So as soon I put my trucks and cars up on a shelf and I only let Charlie toys hang out. My mom came into my bedroom one time and she said, why is this box doing out? And I said, well, I said, I said, well, I, it's, it's what I played with when I, well, why, why isn't it in the, the closet with the rest of your toys? I said, well, because these, these are, these are Charlie toys. These are the toys that I only play with when Charlie comes around. And then she got that look in her eyes and she goes, are you sure that's how you want to handle this? I, and, and to be honest with you, at, at six years old, I was very sure. I said, yeah, that's exactly how I want to handle this. And she said, you know, um, there's a lot of toys that you have in your closet. Maybe you have too many. And that's, you know, a six-year-old's going, what? Too many toys? <laughs> that's heresy. What are you talking about? And she said, yeah, I think maybe you have too many toys because I noticed that even when your younger cousins come over, they don't play with those toys. They don't play with that nice truck. And when now your friends are coming over, they're not playing with those toys. What are, you, what are you preserving them for? What are you protecting them for? What are you keeping them for? And I had to realize that I, I wasn't sure. Maybe it was just because I wanted them preserved for me. She goes, that's not why you got those toys. You got those toys so that you could play with other people, with other friends, with other you know, people that are in this house. You, those are not just for you to put up on a shelf. I think, I think that's what Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples. My mom taught me a really good lesson. She taught me that I wasn't the one who was, or uh, that, my, that Charlie wasn't the one that was the one that was hard to be with. I was that one. I was that person. I was the one that couldn't play well with others. I was the one that was making all the rules for me. I was the one that was keeping all the toys away for me. I was the one that was 
letting the other person just play with the ones I didn't enjoy or I didn't think were worth, you know, preserving. I was that person, not Charlie. And all of a sudden I realized what was going on. Charlie did actually get a lot of my toys. (laughs) She made it very clear that that's how we share. That's how we work. Peter didn't quite get that right away. As a matter of fact, there's a great conversation between Jesus and Peter. It's really, it's really good. It's actually in Matthew chapter 16. And he goes, he's actually, they're on their way up to Caesarea Philippi. And on their way, by the way, Caesarea Philippi, very, very interesting area because it's, it's out of where Judea was. And it was, it would, they all were a little bit fearful. So they all kind of tucked together because it wasn't the, you know, it wasn't their people. So they're tucked together, but Jesus finds a way to get with Peter alongside. He comes alongside him. And he goes, hey, Peter, who do people say that I am? And Peter says this. He goes, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But what about you, he says, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, and you can see the smile in his voice. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. So he's basically using Peter's name as as a play on words. You are this rock, he said. He said, you are this rock, and I will build my church. And then he goes on to say that, not only are you going to be the rock that I build my church on, you're going to get the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose here and will be loosed in heaven. He's giving him this affirmation of who Peter is and this revelation that he's understood. It's like the thief on the cross who got this revelation of Jesus. And now Peter's getting this revelation of Jesus. Jesus is giving back to him, this is what you this is what you're going to have as a result of this. What is he talking about when he talks about keys? So Jesus is saying, you're, you're going to be able to have my words. You're going to be able to have my gospel. This is what's going to open up hope and the opportunity for people to come and accept who I am. Well, this is all really good. It's a great affirmation for Peter. Peter's probably feeling really, really good right now. But it's like the next, the next thing that happens is starts this spiral effect for Peter. And it's just like this continuous uh, cycle of fails that Peter goes through. And it starts with the very next verse. So here comes Jesus. And he, right after he says this, he says to his disciples, he said, oh, by the way, after we're, we're, we're going here, there's going to come a time we're going to be heading back down to Jerusalem. And I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the religious leaders. And Peter, again, good old spontaneous Peter, jumps in and he says, and by the way, Peter literally takes a hold of him. He goes, Peter took him aside and and began to rebuke him. And he said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. This is the guy that he just, you know, in a sense, says, I'm going to give you the keys. (laughs) And now he's saying, get behind me, Satan. Now, this is not hitting Jesus by surprise. Jesus Jesus has heard this temptation before. He's reminding Peter of what took place 
back in the wilderness, right? When Satan came with the same kind of thing, if you follow my lead, I'll take care of you. You don't have to do what you think you have to do. Just kind of let me protect you. Let me take care of things. And Jesus says, get out of my way. And he's saying to Peter, we've seen this before. This is what this is what happens as soon as you think that you you are the one in charge as soon as you think you're the one running the show all of a sudden you think you have to protect something preserve something it happens actually a little bit later the next chapter in, in uh, Matthew chapter 17 Peter's talking to uh, Jesus again right at the transfiguration it says Jesus Faces lit up, and then he sees Elijah and Moses. And Peter's, Peter says his comments are, This is a really good thing, he says. We should build a tabernacle here. We should institutionalize, we should memorialize, we should figure out how to make this last right here. People will come from all over. You know, there's Peter again. And Jesus has words for Peter. He, sa- he says to him, You know, You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow. Just after having all of that, those accolades, all of those affirmations, and Peter just like goes right back to Peter again. So after that, there is a a series of things. You watch Peter and you start to realize that he gets a little... Um, I, maybe we could say he's a little baffled, but he starts becoming really confused because we start seeing things happen in Peter's life until finally we get to the garden and we start to realize that Peter has now, he says, well, if I can't preserve the ministry, I can at least protect Jesus. And he pulls out his sword and here comes Judas and, and Melchus, right? And he starts to swing his sword. I don't know what he was trying to do, but he hits a ear. And he lops off the ear of Melchus. And Jesus, again, Peter, he yells out to everyone in a sense. He can almost hear this exasperation. Put away your swords. And he bends down and he, you know, he heals the ear. He attaches the ear back to the side of his face. And now Peter is just really reeling. He doesn't, he, they all run, by the way, all the disciples, and Peter doesn't know where to go. So he goes to some dark part of the town. That evening, he's, he's waiting, and he's probably thinking in his mind, didn't, didn't I just get the keys? <laughs> didn't, I just, didn't I just get affirmed by God? What was that about? What does that even mean? You know, the Romans actually were the ones that, that kind of, in a sense, invented the key and the lock. I mean, there were keys and locks prior to that, and they understood it. But the way we think of modern-day keys, those are Romans that invented that. The Romans put that together. They had, they had the strongest iron at that point to be able to make that. So they were, they were common. People knew about them, but they weren't commonplace. They, not everybody had them. So what, what there was was people walking around that had keys usually would wear them around their necks or actually on their their hands as rings. And if people saw people wearing keys, there was a distinction. 
there was this kind of prestige, so to speak, that if you had a key or keys around your neck, that you were fairly affluent, that you were, you were locking up something that was of value. So there was a sense of, in a way, this pretentious side of, I got keys. Jesus probably said to his disciples, you know, it's interesting that you look at this and you say, oh, you guys want to be fishers? Well, I'll make you fishers of men. You want keys? I'll give you keys to the kingdom. And so here comes Peter. And that night, there he is with these, what he thinks maybe is some imaginary keys around his neck somewhere. But it's not that Peter wishes that he could be seen because what happens is he actually is noticed as if he actually was wearing keys. They, he wasn't just noticed. He was called out. You're one of Jesus' disciples. And, Jesus, and Peter said, no, I'm not. And, and of course, you, you, know the, you probably know the story. Peter denies him three times. He uses colorful language. He uses an opportunity there to say, I am the one who is... Um, is not, is not, I'm the one that's not you, who you think I am. I'm trying to disown, he tries to dis, you know, distance himself from God. And then not only that, if it's not even, that's even worse than that is the next day is even harder for him to deal with until finally Peter is like despondent. He's so confused. He can hardly think. And then of course we know about the resurrection. Peter goes through that still kind of reeling, but then there's this other story. There's a story that takes place in John. It's the last story of the gospel. And in that story, John paints this picture. And I want you to hear it in a way in which that Peter might be hearing it. Because Peter is still reeling from all of this, and Jesus knows it. The very last story of the gospels. And John writes this story about Peter who comes to Jesus, and they, they just had breakfast, and Jesus pulls him aside, and he's asked Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? It's a great question, because all along, Peter has always thought of himself as different from the rest of them. He was always going to be first, and all of a sudden, Jesus puts him with the rest of them. And he asks him, do you love me more than the rest of these? It's an interesting question. So Peter's trying to figure out how to answer it. He says, Lord, you know I love you. And it was this quick response. But then the next thing he says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's that simple, Peter. But Peter is now wondering what Jesus is kind of getting at. And the next time he's just, and John, by the way, is kind of, maybe he's writing this down. I don't know. But John's off in the distance. He's hearing this. And Jesus says to him again, Peter, do you love me? And this time, Jesus asks the kind of love that God has for us. He says, do you love me? And Peter now responds, yes, yes, I do. And now he's thinking, oh, yeah, I know. You you know what I just went through. And I just lopped the ear off of one of your servants. And, and Jesus says, be my shepherd. Be my shepherd. Take care of my sheep. Put your sword away and stop lopping their ears off, right? So that is where you know, Peter is, and he goes, hey, I get it, I get it. And then Jesus asked one more time. And probably at this point, Peter's head is 
down because he understands what Jesus is doing. He knows that he was the one that said all of those things that he would never do, and he did it. I denied you. And Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, get this. He doesn't just say, you know I love He now changes it up. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know who I am. You've seen what has just gone on in my life. I love you. And then Jesus says, just to kind of clear it up, feed my sheep. That's the simple part of this, folks, that being a follower, being a disciple are, in a sense, where God wants to take us. But he doesn't make it complicated. He says, all you have to do is lead them to the high grass where it's sweetest. Whether you know where it is, just take them to the high grass and feed my sheep. That's what it means to be a disciple. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace, and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. 